The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Colossians entitled, Jesus Over Everything. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Colossians 4, 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is the word of the Lord. Well, when we made the decision on Wednesday that we were going to continue this gathering outdoors, the weathermen said that it was going to rain. And so it held off. It is a little cloudy out there. I better, maybe I spoke too soon, but I don't know. It's held off. We get one more. I'm thankful to be here. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I want to welcome you. And I'm going to pray, and we're getting right after it this morning. Gracious Father, we pray to you right now. We ask your blessing upon us. We ask that your spirit would be here that you would help me as the preacher and the expositor of your word, that you would think through my mind and you would speak through my vocal cords. Father, would you soften hearts? You tell us in your word that we are hard-hearted people, that we are sin-sick creatures from our birth, that we are resistant to your word. We are obstinate. We sit in darkness We want our own way. And so often, maybe without even knowing it, we are at odds with you. Our heart is at odds with you. Would you soften hearts today? Would your word cut through like a two-edged sword? Would you bring about true repentance? All for the glory of your name and the good of your people and the good of this city. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, if you want to open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4, today we are beginning our study in the last chapter of this book that we've been studying, the book of Colossians. And we are only going to look at one verse today, verse 2. Let's read it together. Continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. There is only one thing, or there is, I'm sorry, there is one thing that's perfectly clear from our passage this morning. It is God's will for us to pray to him. Now that might be a really simple truth, but I'd like for us to explore it a little bit this morning. There are a lot of situations where it is incredibly difficult to discern what the will of God is. Personally, I am deeply tired in my soul right now. Like you, I did not see 2020 going like this. And one of the most exhausting realities of being a leader of people is that you are expected to know what to do when difficult seasons hit. That's the point of being a leader, at least a good one. You better be learning and growing and building your capacity so when the tough time hits, you can actually lead. First Chronicles in the Old Testament tells of the men of Issachar that they were leaders that, quote, 
that they could discern the seasons and knew what Israel was to do. Now, discerning the seasons and knowing what to do is not simple even in normal seasons. When to push, when to go hard, when to slow down, when to take a break, what direction to go, how to counsel people. Should they marry that person or not? Should they take that job or not? There's a lot of variables to balance. But then the pandemic hit. Now your elders had to discern and pastors all over the world and leaders all over the world had to discern the times and determine what should we do in a global pandemic in the midst of a highly politicized environment where we don't know, quote, which experts to trust and the will of God is not easy to discern. On top of all that, we've got the highly complicated and historical realities surrounding systemic injustice and the racial disparities that still exist in our culture today. Now, just what is the will of God for us in dealing with these issues? It is not an easy answer. It is not simple. Now, your favorite news source will whittle it down to something very simple that's just absolutely clear and everybody with an ounce of intelligence knows this is the simple answer to this issue. I won't comment on that, but I would say just turn the channel and watch the other one, the other side that says the exact opposite of what they're saying. And of course, you can't forget that's what's complicating or maybe just throwing fuel on the fire of this entire thing is that we are in the midst of an election season. Praise God for that. What is the will of God for you as a citizen of this great nation? Now, all of that complexity and all of the wrestling through the issues has got me feeling like Frodo in Fellowship of the Ring. I feel all thin, sort of stretched, if you know what I mean, says Frodo, like butter that has been scraped over too much bread. Now I say all of that to say this, knowing God's will in a lot of things is really difficult and complicated and it requires all of our mental and spiritual energy to discern it, but not so, praise God, when it comes to prayer. This is a simple one. God wants you to pray to him steadfastly, our text says. But that begs the question, what is prayer? The New City Catechism that we use to teach our children here at Sacred City, and I use in my own home to teach my kids, the New City Catechism gives a really simple answer to the question, what is prayer? It answers like this. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. Prayer is pouring out your heart to God. So according to our text, God wants us to pour our hearts out to him steadfastly. That means he wants to do it, us to do it, consistently, 
often, firmly, daily, with purpose and direction. That prayer should not be a last resort. Prayer should not be what we do when everything else we do fails. Prayer should be our daily plan A. Now, what does it mean to pour out our hearts to God? It means to unburden ourselves. It means to bring our cares, our concerns, our worries, our anxieties, our requests to God. It means to bring all of these things to him and ask for things. Most simple definition, that's what it means. To ask God for things. Now think about this for a moment. God's will, clearly revealed will, is that we, his creatures, ask him for things. And it is not just his will, hear this, it is his delight. God loves to be asked for things. Proverbs 15, 8 says it like this. The prayer of the upright is his delight. God is so eager to hear our prayers and to respond to them that he says in Isaiah 65, 24, it will also come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they're still speaking, I will hear. In fact, God takes special steps to see to it that he is constantly badgered by us. I say that reverently with all respect, but this is what God says in Isaiah 62, verses six and seven. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen all day and all night. They will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. He's saying God loves being asked for things so much that he actually appoints people to give him no rest. He appoints people to remind the Lord and never keep silent. We, and now and nowadays, we call these people, quote, prayer warriors, watchmen who just bug the Lord on our behalf. Now, meditating on this should be very encouraging to us, to our faith and to our hope. This means that God, the creator of the universe or even universes, who holds our life in his hands and rules the world is the kind of God who loves to be asked for things. Now this just goes against all the grains of my humanity, okay? God is not like me. Do you feel, how do you feel when you wake up in the morning and you've got 10 extra emails? Okay, parents, parents, parents. God doesn't get tired of us asking him for things, parents. 
How many of us could say the same thing about our kids? Right? God actually encourages it. Keep asking me. Keep bugging me. Keep nagging me. Keep at it. Keep at it. Keep at it. Now, why is that the case? Well, one, God isn't like most of us. God, any of us, God is the all-sufficient giver. Hear that? God is the all-sufficient giver. Now, what does that mean? Listen to what Luke says in Acts 17, 25. He says this, God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. He's all sufficient. He doesn't need anything. Since he himself, look, gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God gives us everything. He gives us the sun. He gives us the rules of creation. He gives us the air we breathe. He gives us our heartbeat. He gives us our food. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns it all. God is all sufficient. And so God never gets tired of giving us. Now, every parent, here's our problem, parents. We are not all sufficient. We run out of patience. We run out of nerves. We run out of energy. No, you know what? I got to call a T. I need, to, I need reinforcements. I just can't go down the slide one more time. And of course, we also run out of money. But God isn't like us, praise God. God is all sufficient. He owns everything, even us. He is omni-resourceful. And because he is love, he also, he loves to give his resources to his children. That's what love does. Love gives. And as God gives to us and meets our needs, God gets the glory. Jesus tells us it's more glorious to give than to receive. Well, God is constantly giving to us. He's giving us our breath He's giving us everything that we need for life and godliness. He's, of course, given us everything we need for salvation. God is constantly giving to us, and therefore God is constantly showing off his glory as an all-sufficient giver. So it is God's will for you to pray to him. And when you pour out your heart to him, he listens he promises to meet our needs from his limitless supply. And so we can say, hear this unequivocally, that one of the things that God is doing in 2020 is encouraging us to pray to him steadfastly. Why the pandemic? Why the racial tension? Why the political turmoil? Why, why, why? One of the things we can be sure about is God is encouraging his people to pray to him for the resources that we don't have. When it's difficult to discern the will of God, know this, it is God's will for you to pray to him. Take your cares 
to the Lord in prayer. Listen to this. John Piper said in response to this verse, as commentary upon it, he said this, quote, this means that prayer is about as central to the meaning of the created universe as you can get. That God created us, according to Isaiah 43, 7, for his glory, which we now see means that he created the universe so that persons created in his image would look to him to satisfy all their wants and needs so that they would get the joy and God would get the glory. When we express this looking to God, we call it prayer. So prayer is not some small thing. It's not some marginal thing. It is not some incidental thing to the Christian life. Prayer is at the heart of how God created the universe, how and why God created the universe. So think about that. Why is the galaxy so big and you feel so small? Because God is that big and or bigger and you are really that small. That's challenging to me. In a lot of ways, this is counterintuitive. Didn't our parents raise us to be independent? We learn in adulthood to stop looking to others to meet our needs, to take responsibility, to exercise discipline, to carry weight. We want to learn how to figure things out and get stuff done. Our goal rightly so, in maturity is often self-sufficiency, to be independent. I don't want to look to my parents. I don't want to look to society. I don't want to look to the government. I don't want to look to anybody else. I want to look within, stand on my own two feet, and be responsible. But guess what? That is not the goal of Christian maturity. Sure, we should not be looking to any person or government to meet our needs. We should be looking to God himself. But listen to this. We should be growing more and more dependent upon God for our needs. And that dependency is actually expressed through prayer. God, I need you. God, I need your help. I need your patience. I need your wisdom. I need your kindness. I need your graciousness. I need your mercy. See, as a child grows up, they should begin to ask their parents for less and less. But as a Christian grows up, they should begin to ask their father for more and more and more. Think about that. Does your idea of Christian maturity include that principle? Or as you grow in maturity, all of a sudden now, you know what? I've got things kind of figured out. My finances are intact. My house is doing, my home is under control. I've got a good career. I'm in a nice neighborhood. And so in actuality, your prayer life is actually dry. It's not motivated by a sense of dependency or weakness or need. 
You've actually outgrown that. Oh yeah, when I first came to Christ, I felt like that. But now I've got my addictions under control. Now I've got my flesh under control. And listen, this is why I think Paul throws this other command in this command to pray. He says, pray steadfastly. Look at this. He says this, but be watchful in it. Be watchful. I've already used that term from the Old Testament, the watchman on the walls. This means a couple things. First and most obvious, it means in order to pray steadfastly, you have to stay awake. You have to be vigilant and be alert. If you struggle to stay awake, maybe early in the morning when you pray, I recommend getting your cup of coffee in a to-go cup or in your mug and go walking out the door and pray while you walk. Pray for your friends, pray for your family, pray for your neighbor, pray for your own soul. But secondly, keeping watch means to keep watch on yourself or keep watch over your own heart. 1 Timothy 4.16 says this, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save yourself and your hearers. Listen, it's pretty easy to turn prayer into some kind of online shopping cart. Just click all the things you want and pile everything into that shopping cart and then ask God to come on and hit checkout for you. God, here's what I need. I need a spouse. I need a home. I need a career that makes this much. I need a car. I need this. Just pile it into the online shopping cart and go, okay, God, you told me to pray to you, so I'm bringing my shopping cart to you, and I'm asking you to put it on your card. Now listen, God does want us to bring all of our needs to him, but more importantly, or maybe just as importantly, he wants us to stay awake to our own hearts and life. What does that mean? Can I ask you a question this morning? How's your soul right now? Are you looking to something other than Jesus for your significance, your value, and your worth? See, in prayer, when you're watchful in prayer, you're bringing your heart to God and God is helping you become aware of what's going on in your own heart. And when you pray for that promotion, he might reveal to you that maybe you actually don't need the promotion. You need to look to Jesus for your value and not your career. Maybe you are so upset over that conversation that went sideways and you keep rehearsing it in your mind and in, over and over and over and maybe you're bringing it to God and you're like, God, change that person's heart, change that person's heart, help them see that I'm right. 
But maybe what really needs to happen is you need to see that it went sideways because you are trying to, or you're so bothered by it because you are trying to please people rather than please God. And you'd be, you would rather be right with people than right with God. See, one of the things that prayer should do, real prayer, is awaken us to our own hearts or awaken us to what's going on in our own hearts. I'm, over, I'm blown away by how many times I ask a person this and they're completely unaware of what's going on in their own heart. How are you? Oh, the job's doing pretty good. Career's going well. Family's good. Everything's good. good. How's your heart? Right? They have no idea. Listen, the Bible tells us, and you know this if you you know some scripture. The Bible tells us that, quote, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? But guess what? He answers that question for us. He answers that question. Who can know it? Well, Luke 16, 15 says, Jesus knew the heart of his listeners. He, knew, he said something, he knew what was in their heart. And so he could respond to it without them even asking questions. We also learn in Acts 15, 8, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. We don't know what's in our heart, but Jesus does and God does. Romans 8, 27 says this, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Hear me, one of the things the Holy Spirit does for us in prayer is to wake us up to what is actually going on in our own hearts. What's driving your anxiety? What's motivating your fear? What's behind that behavior that that turns you into, quote, a control freak? Well, that's just who I am. No, it's not. That behavior is revealing something about your heart. You're afraid. What are you afraid of? Bring that to the Lord. Why are you so easily triggered by the opposing political viewpoint? Maybe you are putting more of your faith and hope into politics than you are into the gospel of Jesus. Well, I'm a Christian. How dare you say that to me? Well, you just proved my point. Thank you. If you understand what's going in your heart, we are always tempted to lean That's what faith is, leaning, not putting our whole hope in Jesus. We want to like tiptoe into Jesus, put a little bit of weight in Jesus and the rest of our weight into Supreme Court justices. 
That's what we need. All we need is the right ones in the, in, in the Supreme Court. How's that going for you? Going to God in prayer and him kind of rebuking you and showing you the wickedness of your heart, showing the bent nature of your heart, revealing to you avenues and areas where you aren't trusting in the gospel. Instead, you're trusting in experts or the wisdom of men or whatever it is. That should be a normal aspect in the life of a Christian. If God isn't exposing sinful areas of your heart often, I'm going to say on a weekly basis, areas where you're not fully trusting him, then you most likely have a superficial relationship with Jesus and you aren't praying steadfastly and remaining watchful in it. You might be, in the words of Jesus, going through the motions. The same ways the Pharisees went through the motions and prayed the prayers and offered the sacrifices and gave the tithes. And, so, and yet Jesus looked at him and said, you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and kindness. And when the spirit, but Justin, that sounds so negative. I'm gonna go to God and he's gonna point out what's wrong with me. Well, isn't that why you go to the doctor? Do you go to have a good conversation? Right? Why do you go to the doctor? I go to the doctor so he can say exactly what's wrong with me and exactly what I need to fix it. That's why I go. And Jesus is the great physician of our soul. And so spending time with him, he's going to not just praise me in all the ways that I'm healthy. He's going to go, oh, we got a cancer right here that we need to work on. How's that going for you? Oh, we got something in your heart right here I need to press on. Not because I hate you, not because I'm angry at you, but because I love you and I want to heal this thing and you can't heal this thing unless you bring it out into the light and put it in the doctor's hands. And so when the Spirit, here's the good news, folks. When the Spirit shows us the desperation and the wickedness of our own hearts, we bring those sin-sick hearts to the Father once again for grace. And he heals us and he does work and he puts in the stutures, whatever, sutures, and the stitches, and he does all the stuff that he's, that he's doing to heal us. Maybe he cuts us open like a surgeon and removes something from us. And hear this, hear this. God never gets tired of doing it. He never gets tired of hearing us complain, hearing us bring our issues to him. He never gets tired of performing surgery. He never gets tired of healing us. He never gets tired of giving us grace upon grace upon grace. Even though most of the time we're like the people that go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, it's diet and exercise. And we leave and we go, I need a donut. And we ignore everything the doctor says. That guy's crazy. Some kind of organic freak he is. Right? Not the same thing. But I bet you doctors get tired of it. I know they do, actually. Doctors get tired of it. Oh, they're back again. High cholesterol. Hmm, what am I going to say this time? 
Miracle drug? Nope. Diet and exercise. They get tired of it. They're humans. Guess what? God never gets tired of it. He's not like us. And lastly, as I close, from our text this morning, Paul shows us that our prayers, they should be steadfast, watchful, and look, sprinkled with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, he says. Now, I want to remind us, when we are going to God and we're asking him for things, we're doing that after Jesus has already given us everything for life and godliness. That our eternal salvation is secure because of the work of Jesus. And that means no matter what is going on in our life, we still have a lot to be thankful for. Right? We still have a lot to be thankful for. Why? Because Jesus Christ came to this earth. He left heaven. Can we just all say how crazy that is? to leave the perfection of heaven, to come walk this sin-sick, broken world. In the midst, Jesus came in the midst of racial tension. Samaritan, Jews, Jew, Gentile, in the midst of religious confusion, in the midst of a horrible healthcare situation, all right? Jesus was born before modern medicine, right? He entered into that. He knows what it feels like to be us. And yet Jesus lived a life of perfect dependency on the Father, praying every single morning, leaving the crowds, even though they needed him and they demanded his attention, he would leave them and he would go and he would state his dependency on the Father. I can do nothing but what the Father's given me to do. I can say nothing but what the Father's telling me to say. I am completely dependent upon God. And yet Jesus, he goes even farther than that, church. He shows his utter dependency upon God by willing to be abandoned by every single human on the planet. Crucified at the hands of a corrupt state. Crucified at the hands of self-righteous, religious, conservative leaders. He was abandoned by the political and religious sector. He was abandoned by all except God. And maybe even on the cross, he was abandoned by God. In the garden, he said, Father. He cried out. If there's any other way, don't do it. If this cup could pass for me, let it pass. We sing songs that say, the Father turned his face away and gave up Jesus on the cross to be crucified and to be spiritually cut off from the Father. Why? So that we could be brought in, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be given life, so that we could be saved. And that means our eternal salvation is secure because of Jesus and Jesus alone. So in all of our asking, ask, keep asking, knock, keep knocking, beg, keep begging. All of our pouring our hearts out to God, let us not forget to be thankful in the midst of it. Father, 
Even though I'm confused, even though I'm frustrated, even though my wife or my husband has abandoned me, even though my family's turned their back on me, even though I've lost my job, even though I've gotten sick and I don't know what's going on in my body, all of those things I'm asking you to heal. But one thing I'm certain of is you have not abandoned me because you abandoned your son so that you would never have to abandon me because of my sin. And my eternity is secure in you. Because of that, we can be thankful even in the midst of all the crazy that's going on in our world. And that's what we need to remind ourselves. That's why we come together. One of the reasons we come together for the Lord's Supper week in and week out is we, he puts something physical in our hands, right? It's not just an idea. There's something real that he's putting in our hands to remind us. It's a liturgy. It's an embodied reality that's meant to become a part of us. Every week we come in for grace, and every week he meets us here. Every week he gives us grace, and he is not tired of doing it. Please hear that. Your struggle with sin feels impossible because it is in your own strength. You failed again this week. The world, your flesh, the devil, your sin has convinced you that God is tired of you and his grace has been worn out. But that is not the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God is his mercy is new every morning. And he says, pray to me steadfastly. Come to me every day and I'll put grace in your hands. That's a good word. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the grace of Jesus Christ, for the welcome of a father, not because of our efforts, but because of the effort of the son. We come to you this morning, you say to us in your scriptures that on the night that you were betrayed, you took bread and you broke it and you said, this is my body broken for you. And you took the cup and you said, this is my blood poured out for many. And the Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we gather together, we should partake of it in a worthy manner, that we should proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's what we do. We partake of this grace, this sacrament that you've given us today. And we come with repentant hearts, with needy hearts, we need grace. We come with greedy hearts, greedy for more grace. And you meet us here gladly. Thank you for this, Jesus. Pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.